Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Hi, wonderful listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Flip Your Lid. I got this really cute, famous dude on here today. His name is Pastor Mike Myers-Shiro. You may have heard of him. He's a great guy. If you're not following him on Instagram and all that, I hope that you do. And after you hear him, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to do that. So, Mike, welcome to Flip Your Lid. Thank you, Kim. I'm honored to be here. I love the name of this podcast. It feels very appropriate. Yes, right. Feels like I belong over here. Yes, we should. We're going to hang out every day now, right? After right, this. Exactly. After this. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. I just want to start, as you know, with our our name and title, Flip Your Lid. So, tell me a little bit and tell our audience what flipped your lid and what measures that you had to take to reconnect to who you really are. Yeah. My goodness. Mm. Well, the biggest, most, I mean, I feel like my lid has been flipped a few times Mm -hmm. in my life, Mm -hmm. but the biggest, most obvious and recent lid that's been flipped in my life has been when I came out publicly as a gay man. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been in, I, I'm gonna say I had, I had been in professional public ministry for eight years up to me coming out and Mm -hmm. I was in a non-affirming environment and I was non-affirming all that time up until a couple of years ago. Um, And so it was actually like deep. Listen, I don't know uh, to all the the audience out there and everyone's version of who God is to them and how they're Mm -hmm. integrating Mm -hmm. into that and what that means. I'm going to just use my language and trust everyone else is going to translate this however you need to. I don't need you to adhere to my terminology. I'm just trying to use the language that makes most sense for me. But I genuinely have such an open, expansive permissive space in my heart for people to engage with this person and being or idea that we call God in whatever ways Mm. that is meaningful for them, not in a way that's mandated according to how I read scripture. So please know, as far as I'm concerned, when I say this, you can translate it however it means to you. And I'm totally good with that. So in my language, I've had some pretty deep, intense exchanges with this person that I call that I've acknowledged as God my whole life Mm. um, several times. And a few of those times I discerned actual communication, like not just warm fuzzies or like a deep Mm -hmm. sense of peace or acceptance or love, although that obviously has happened as well. But there have been multiple times where I've, if I translated the meaning that was being communicated to me, sometimes it was straight up English. Other times it was deep, very clear, specific meaning that I can communicate in spoken language about. Um, But there are multiple times where I encountered and experienced the presence of God advocating for my homosexuality. Mm -hmm. It's probably the way to say that, right? Yeah. When I was not affirming and I was not affirming for 14 years after Mm -hmm. the moment I first heard God tell me that they wanted me to be gay. Yeah. I could not accept that. I couldn't believe it. I, there was no part of me that argued with God or didn't believe that God said this to me, but everything else about my life, church, culture, yeah. leaders, family members, right? All that told me being gay was a sin and the Bible yeah. condemned it or whatever. So there right. was no possibility for me to get to be gay and live and succeed in the world that I lived in, right? So mm-hmm. I just continued to suppress my sexuality, suppress the voice of God in my life. Mm-hmm. And probably seven times over the next 14 years, God 
explicitly communicated to me again, defending who I was confronting me for trying to change it. I went through a season of conversion therapy and counseling and all that stuff. And a few times God showed up and confronted me, like basically like, why are you trying to change this? This doesn't belong to anyone else. This is mine. Like, I'm like, ah. And so it was like the struggle in, in an internal isolated struggle. Cause I could, I would not talk to people about this. Um, and so then two years ago, basically I had a series of experiences that landed me in a spiritual little wrestling match with God. And then there was a, eventually a straw that broke the camel's back, if you will mm. moment. And I, at that point, there was so much built up tension and conviction and guilt and complicity. Mm. And, you know, I would have used the term disobedience back then. I don't talk about my relationship with God like that anymore. I don't think it's Mm. accurate anymore, but Mm. anyway, like disobedience or rebellion or obstinance or whatever. And so at that point, I finally, the biblical word would be repent, right? I changed Mm -hmm. my mind here. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to stop resisting you here. I'm going to stop clinging to everyone else's opinions and what they think and their approval of me. I'm going to let that go and instead honor the voice of God in my life higher Mm -hmm. than those things. Even though I know it's going to cost me a lot, I'm going to lose all this stuff. So I went on this journey. Um, I came out to close friends Mm -hmm. and then just started seeking out voices and influences, podcast books, YouTube channels, anything um, Mm -hmm. of people who were affirming the queer community. And I was shocked at the scholarship, the academia, the legitimacy of what was Mm -hmm. coming out of their work that had been happening for like a decade at least. I was like, what? And none of this had ever been communicated to me, had never been presented to me. I didn't know any of this was out there. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are we doing? This is such a biased conversation we're having on the Mm non-affirming side of Mm -hmm. this, right? So anyway, it was the thing that flipped my lid. I'm not trying to be dramatic or spiritual. Honestly, genuinely, the thing that flipped my life upside down was the voice of God in my life. Yeah. I know that's not popular in the queer space, but that is absolutely my story. And that's what happened. Yeah, no, I, I love the authenticity. I love the honesty and your passion behind all this. So let me let me go to this first. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to actually go through conversion therapy. Uh, okay. So I didn't get sent to like a camp or like a retreat or anything like that. I didn't have like, some people have pretty dramatic, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. intense experiences. So my version of what we're calling conversion therapy in this space was, so I was part of a place called Bethel church in Redding, yes. California. Everybody knows about Bethel church. Yes. Okay. Well, so I find yes. somebody who don't, but yeah. Oh, really? I, okay. pretty, yeah. yeah. So Bethel's a pretty well-known mm-hmm. place establishment in certain circles. Other people right. who, you know, have no yeah. idea, but, um, I was in, at Bethel for 12 and a half years and I wasn't just like an attendee or, you know, a congregant. I was like teaching in the ministry school. Mm-hmm. I spoke mm-hmm. under the Bethel band. I, I was flown right. out to other countries to speak at other churches under the Bethel umbrella umbrella. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I took yeah. interns from the school and I led mission trips. I, I was, I was a very mm-hmm. engaged member of this community. Mm-hmm. So I got kicked out of second year of the ministry school on the last day of school because leaders heard rumors I think started by a close friend of mine who I confided in, mm. confided with, you know, about my struggles with my sexuality. Right. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. So they thought that I was like living a double life, that I was sleeping with dudes and still pretending to be an upstanding ministry school student or whatever. And that wasn't true, but nobody asked any of those questions. They just wow. kicked me out of school on the last day of school. And it was a really traumatizing experience. So that is incredibly the- traumatizing. It's your last day. Yeah. There were, yeah, there was, and nice. I wish that was the only time I experienced leaders like that there, but that's not the first or second. That's not the last time that happened. Mm -hmm. It happened a few different times in different contexts. And I'm like, I don't think we're doing a great job, like from a leadership or like 
authority position, doing the due diligence of caring for the people. That's right. That, you know, it just yeah. was very poorly handled in a few yeah. different scenarios. And I'm still probably in some ways recovering from like how I was mm-hmm. treated in those ways. So bad, so bad. And I, mm-hmm. anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> um, so moving forward, part of the solution for me to not just like leave the environment to like reintegrate, if you will, from like recovering from being kicked out was they put me on a purity plan. So I was expected to go to the men's purity group, a men's yeah. sexual purity group. Right. Um, I was expected to go get a sozo from a specific okay. like yeah. minister that they wanted to do it. Right. I don't know if your audience is sozo. I know what it is. Okay. I know what it is. Okay. I, don't so I don't know. Need to explain it. Um, I don't know if my audience does, but it, okay. you can explain. Like it's a division of a ministry of prayer and hours of people praying over you and right. Yeah. Like is that it's like a very it's like a they would probably classify it as like a supernatural approach to inner healing. Yeah. Um, right. Much so better I way of putting it than how I put it. Much better. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to be gracious and like, you know, respectful here, even though some of this is very harmful and mm-hmm. out of line. Anyway, um, Sozo is Bethel's brand of inner healing. And it's a, a like a kind of a zap you. Let's have a catalytic dynamic mm-hmm dramatic experience that's going to alter your life forever. Right. Now, the thing I want to throw in is like, there have been moments in Sozo experiences that I, that were profound. I don't know that I was personally like dramatically impacted by Sozo moments, but I did see some helpful things in it. So I don't want to just throw the whole thing away. I think there's some, I get why it's as popular as it is, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of overreach. There's a lot of assumption. There's a lot of hurried, um, illegitimate, mantra that happens in that in such a vulnerable intense space so mm-hmm. you know that would yeah. make yeah, it inappropriate absolutely. anyway so i went to a um a sozo person I had three sessions with them and by the third session they were like hey we're done there's nothing else for us to do and i was like well, we're not done nothing happened like yeah. i'm the same person i was three sessions ago like nothing has changed in my life they're like mike there's nothing else for us to do like we've checked all the boxes we've gone after everything we need to you're good i'm like I'm not good. I'm still gay. It was how I was feeling. I didn't say, I never called myself that back then. Right. But I was hoping for like lightning or like demons to come out of me or something. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going to fix me, Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now, nothing changed. I did not get fixed now. And he's like, there's nothing for us to do. And so anyway, that was that I did the men's pretty group for a year. It was awful. I hated it. Mm. This group was was for guys who were like addicted to porn and masturbating or like going to massage parlors or picking up prostitutes. Like they have all these really strong, like unacceptable sexual behavior, right? Especially Mm -hmm. in that environment. And I was like a sexless being. My sexuality was so repressed. I like Mm -hmm. didn't even have, there was no like romantic thoughts in my life. I didn't allow myself to consider those things. Um, It's really (laughs) weird to think back on that time in my life and like how I saw myself in the world and how I participated um, it's really sad to think about some of it, um, because I was like living a subhuman life. I would say it was like really limited, like very mm-hmm. restricted and like f- fragmented almost. Um, I wasn't insane, you know, I wasn't like delusional, but I was absolutely missing out on a whole component of what it means to be a vulnerable, intimate, sure. emotional being, you know? Sure. Yeah. There's so much and oppression I, I, in that. So much. Yeah, oppression. totally. Yeah. I mean, my, I didn't get depressed because I was in such intense denial about any kind of sexuality existing right. in me. You know, it was right. so pushed down for so long that I, you know, it just was basically not a thing in my life. So anyway, it was like, that was my version of con- conversion therapy. I okay. sought out a couple of counselors along the mm-hmm. way as well. And, you know, had some pretty, terrible exchanges with counselors in that space. 
Um, but I think the biggest harmful component to this whole process is that some of the values, and I don't think this is unique to Bethel, but I think Bethel has a maybe more extreme version of this, a pretty strong value in Christian spaces, especially as it pertains to leaders and everyone else is if you're an everyone else person, you're supposed to submit to the leaders, right? You're supposed to be surrendered to their authority, which is biblical terms and language they're, you know, extrapolating, but the concept and the the idea is like shockingly disempowering. Mm -hmm. Um, The imbalance of power is really dysfunctional. And then the people who are in the powerful seats they're not equipped to take care of the vulnerability and the yeah. negative impact that their irresponsibility yeah. has in the lives of the people who are being affected by that. Mm-hmm. And I, anyway, so like that was probably the most harmful aspect of this whole process was trying mm-hmm. to continue to su- submit myself to these harmful, mm-hmm. illegitimate, incomplete pseudoscience approaches to like yeah. something so integral and vulnerable as your sexuality, right? So right. it was a lot to try and sort, I mean, the psychosis of just like, the back and forth, the living with the war inside of you. Mm-hmm. Like it's exhausting. It's so frustrating. It's so painful. And so to try and honestly and vulnerably go to that place of considering how can I allow myself to not be broken? How can I allow myself mm-hmm. to trust women so that I can finally be sexually attracted mm-hmm. to them? Or, you know, all this crazy, like this crazy rhetoric that gets put on you that is it, it's inhuman to expect somebody to try and mm-hmm. incorporate this into their life and actually accomplish authentic mm-hmm. results that over things we have no control over, you know, like it was just years and, of and, that. And it's for the comfort of someone else. It's right. For it was always else's. for somebody else. It was right. never for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and just, sure. just the, um, you know, preoccupied attachment, cause I'm, you know, that in that, that it's always about, I'm not okay, but let me make sure you're okay. Like, right. And just, and I'm going to go back to this too, the idea they came to you in your last day of school. And because someone said you struggled at when people hear gay, they automatically think sex. Yeah. And that you and I are just sitting here. We're still gay. No one's doing anything. Right. Right? It doesn't mean sexual behavior. Like this is the person as a whole, instead of it being isolated to behavior. Yeah. Right. That's what's so interesting. And, And as a psychotherapist and trauma recovery specialist, I'm so sorry that people in my field added, not just the church, but people in the clinical neuroscience field added to your your trauma. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and and how, how do you how do you find safe space after that? Because I assume once you came out, like you can't be a part of Bethel. I mean, most churches you can't walk into now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Uh, unless they don't know, if they don't know who I am. They don't know anything. Then I can't. Right. Um, right. How much of that do I want to do? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding safe space, part of the answer for me was I moved. So I left Reading. I live in Nashville yeah. now. And I did yeah. that because I needed to find a place to be safe. And mm-hmm. Reading was no longer safe for me, mm-hmm. um, mostly because of how integrated I was into the Bethel community and how, you know, like much of an echo chamber Bethel is. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very insulated ecosystem. Other ideas, yeah. other thoughts are not welcomed and are easily, right. you know. Yeah shamed and discredited and pushed out and whatever. So I knew once I drew the line and decided that I was going to come out as a gay man, I couldn't stay there for much longer, Mm -hmm. mostly because of the relationships that I had with people who were so entrenched in that worldview and those Mm -hmm. values. Um, You know, after in 2016, when Trump got elected, Bethel changed, like, you know, like Mm -hmm. the political thing started becoming more and more of a forefront. Um, Leaders started coming out with very specific 
values they were standing upon that the, con- the congregation was by and large mostly celebrating and championing. Anyway, mm-hmm. so um, the safe space priority was I moved. I left. Yeah, good. Several people from who were close to me who were on my team, um, some of them came with me. Like we all moved, not all, a bunch of us moved away from Reading to Nashville together at different mm-hmm. points of this process and just kind of like relocated to the city. Um, so that was the one big shift was like, I just needed to physically get out of that mm-hmm. environment. And like my relationships for sure suffered. I suffered. Mm-hmm, I, um, I came out publicly six months ago at the recording of this. So February 1st of 2022, I came out on all of my social media platforms and okay. you know released this hour long YouTube video, just telling my story, mm-hmm. which was basically, um, an act of war in my relationships, mm-hmm. right? If I'm going to say this, then all of a sudden, all these people that were connected to me either want to publicly distance themselves from me or mm-hmm. emotionally like draw very hard specific lines. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, listen, that your need to draw that line is a deal breaker for me. This yes. is a dehumanizing approach mm-hmm. that you're, that you have in this whole context. Mm-hmm. You don't see people like me and I'm mm-hmm. actually choosing to give up mm-hmm. the cost playing agenda I've brought to the table of acting like a straight man for your approval right. and your comfort. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. And I understand I'm losing privileges with you because of it. That's your problem. It's no longer going to be mine and I'm not yeah. paying for it anymore. And that was yeah. really difficult for a yeah. lot of people to understand the sure. degree of straight privilege. I was repeatedly met with from people who knew me very well and respected mm-hmm. me was shocking. It was like, all of a sudden I was no longer Mike. I was no longer right. a human. I became right. something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would never say that. And they didn't quote unquote treat me like that in conversation, but their behavior and their attitude and the barriers that immediately went up, not because of anything I did other than tell my story, yeah. honestly, yeah. turned me into a thing in this dynamic. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was being treated very different. I was an other overnight it was it was awful it was so painful Mm -hmm. because there are people i would not expect this from they're emotionally intelligent they're Mm -hmm. compassionate they care Mm -hmm. about others Mm -hmm. they're responsible right they have integrity and Mm -hmm. these people dehumanized me i was shocked i was like this is so discriminatory and prejudiced and Mm -hmm. so specific like what about all these other things that we have in our relationship that you could go off of to actually relate to me through? That's all gone now. Mm-hmm. How, you know, it was just so weird and awful. Mm-hmm. And I just was like intolerant at some point. Eventually, once I'd done the work of like advocating for myself and becoming conscious of the ways that my relationships were actually con- like harmful to me and the ways that I had co-conspired in my own diminishment. Right, right. Um, I was like, I can't do it anymore in good conscience. I can't continue to like enable or support attitudes that are anti-gay that are homophobic when Mm -hmm. i am stepping out as a gay man and so that was a really intentional choice i made to identify as a queer person and Mm -hmm. be part of the queer community and take Mm -hmm. on this marginalized community as my own you know for the first time in my life to finally be honest about that Mm -hmm. i avoided it for so long because i wanted to sidestep all these negative consequences and so it was like okay it's time for them to hoist me up and like put the noose around my neck or nail my hands to the cross mm. or light me on fire, whatever they're going to do. Mm. I need to stop avoiding the execution and just go through it now. Cause like, if this is what happens to people who are like me, then this is what needs to happen to me. Mm. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. Said, you know, in an unjust society with an unjust government, the rightful place for a just man is in prison. And I'm like, okay, so I need to align with my values. I need to be authentic and honest. If this is what they're going to do to me, then they need to do that. I need to not, mm-hmm. not do it just because of what mm-hmm. they're going to do. I need mm-hmm. to like, 
stand in solidarity with me and then subsequently solidarity with everyone like me. And so I just got to expose a lot of nasty stuff. So I moved to get away from all of that. And then there was a lot of lingering relationship, like residuals I needed to address. There's still conversations I haven't had with people. It's just mostly Mm -hmm. avoidant at this point. They're not Mm -hmm. reaching out to me. I was like, I can't do this. I need space. So now a big part of like creating a safe space for me to like facilitate you know my journey of healing and recovering from all this which i'm still in the middle of doing um is i've got a tight-knit group of people in my life um who some who came with me from reading others i'm like cultivating relationships with here um other people i knew kind of in some capacity are like grew closer to me because of this whole thing and so mm-hmm. we've grown in our connection right because of our values for justice and recognizing the hypocrisy in the church yeah. and the double standard and the right. toxic theology and there's just so much that's wrong with what's mm-hmm. happening on the christian side and just Mm-hmm. So there's just like a lot of bonding that's happened over like us realizing from our own vantage points. There's so many flawed things going on here. So people, regular dialogue, like having conversations with people in my life about the experience and vice versa has been a huge necessity. I go on walks in the woods or I rollerblade or I go on, like, on a bike ride. I get in nature often. Yeah. <laughs> that's always been a thing I'd need in my, yeah. in my life, but it's become a more prioritized yeah. activity. Um, I've yeah. been doing a lot of studying, so I'm... I read a lot of queer affirming theology books. Um, lately, I'm doing a lot of deconstruction work. Mm-hmm. I'm just pulling apart a lot of like tenets of Christianity and like, why do we believe this? Where did this come from? Mm-hmm. What is it substantiated by? How much of this is like agenda driven versus like rooted in the text? Like just mm-hmm. a lot of that work, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a lot. And I'm still in the middle of like doing yeah. a lot of that. Um, uh, yeah, I had a therapist for a little bit and then needed to step back for to give myself space to actually process before I kept like, putting myself in a position where I was working for something rather than allowing a process to happen. So anyway, just like a lot of um, reflection and processing and finding ways to communicate what this feels like. My Instagram stories is probably another space where I started utilizing (laughs) a therapeutic response to a lot of hate that I was getting online. Mm -hmm. So I often on my Instagram stories will screenshot horrible comments people will put on my stuff and then just kind of give a little bit of commentary sometimes on why this is terrible, how hypocritical it is, how it doesn't fit. This is, you know, just trying to educate my audience or at least just clap back to Mm -hmm. the vitriol and the dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I could just, there's a lot of different things that I've had to incorporate. Yeah. Right. So many rich nuggets in that. So let's, let's, let's park (laughs) on this for a second. Cause you said it earlier and you know, you came back to the, to, you know, really dissecting scripture and where it came, how we came Mm -hmm. to the translation of that homosexuality is sin, that is unforgivable, all, all the things that, yeah. that happen with that. And, and again, it's not new that, you know, we understand in 1946 that the word pedophilia was taken out and homosexuality was play, in its place and all the other parts, the six other parts where we think homosexuality is in there. Like it has been dissected, not even by queer people. Right. It's been dissected by right. scholars, and yeah. there is a deep understanding that the Bible doesn't say anything truly about sexual orientation. Right. And yet, it's so easy, it's so easy for people to decide and sit in that box and be able to be in the lower level of their ego and feel superior and to say that it's wrong. Yeah. It, yeah. Right? Like, it's just, just to even speak into that of you knowing the research has been done, you knowing the understanding of what happens when you're in your mother's womb when it comes to your sex and gender, two separate things, and yeah. your sexual orientation being informed, all the science that we understand. Like for you, just want to hear from you, like how you're sitting in that 
staying connected to self and not going into the absolute hatred that's coming towards you because you're being so honest. Yeah, totally. That's a great question. Um, Well, so for me, I think I didn't want to speak publicly about any of this until I was fully convinced. And my goal wasn't to be convinced. My goal was to get to the bottom of it. Where is, where is the stuff coming from? And then finding truth, whatever, in whatever way it was Mm -hmm. found, that would likely be the thing that convinced me other, like whatever. Cause for a while there, I told people that were watching my process before it was public. I was like, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I could become fully affirming and end up being a gay man who marries a dude that could happen. And that was like the worst case scenario for people who were listening at that point. Right. It's like, that could happen. I could decide this is something that uniquely I'm walking out with God. That isn't about other people. It's not about homosexuality. It could be just unique Mm -hmm. to Mike. It could be that this is all wrong and I'm crazy. Like, I don't know. I just need to like do the due diligence and genuinely like stop cherry picking, you know, Mm -hmm. and like having these, uh, this uh what's the word um this confirmation bias i mean can i just yes, prove yes. that this is evil right that way like that's what most right. christians that's all they do is try and find enough evidence to confirm mm-hmm. their paranoia and homophobic right. behavior and attitude like oh yeah it's evil mm-hmm. you justify these several dudes confirm that i can believe this cool i'm gonna believe that I'm like right. oh my gosh can yeah. we grow up can we have some integrity there's mm-hmm. some honesty right so um i spent a lot of energy listening to everybody else because for 32 years of my life i only heard the anti-gay message right so it's like okay it's time to listen to someone else for a change finally and mm-hmm. i'm not listening to anyway so did that work mm. um when i found the so basically there were six passages or verses in the bible that people used as anti-gay only six by the way right, right that they could possibly remotely twist enough to hold against the queer community. Mm-hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah got debunked a long oh, time ago so by scholars, right? Yes. So yes. old. We're so yeah. over it. It's so not relevant. And yet mm-hmm. people still throw that in the comment section of my, like I still yeah. have to re- deal with right. that level of ignorance. Right. But that was easily debunked pretty early on. I was actually shocked. It was really nice to recognize and get educated about it, right? Mm-hmm. But the crime of Sodom and Gomorrah was inhospitality, not caring for the foreigner, yeah. um, you know, greed, not taking up the cause of the oppressed. Like that was their crime. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then repeatedly, in the, anyway, so once that was thoroughly debunked, I'm like, okay, that one's out. Let's go to the next one. So Leviticus 18, mm-hmm. 22 and 21, whatever. Um, these Levitical laws specifically addressing sexual behavior for the Levites, you know, like when you look at the context, all the things that were being prescribed is like required for them. We recognize are absurd and don't apply it to real life today. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. We, we Mm -hmm. eat shellfish. We wear mixed blended like fabrics. And and understanding that to touch pigskin on a Sunday, which means you can't play football on a Sunday. Like that's, that's in there. That's in there. Yeah. The consequences to adhering to these strict Right. Like these restrictions is like far reaching and all of us are crossing right. them. Like yeah. this doesn't apply to culture. We recognize that. Right. But then specifically when you get to the context of who this book was even written for, it's for like this tribe. This is the priestly part of Israel. Anyway, there's all this other cultural and contextual mm-hmm. legitimate grounding for why this said what it did it's just like okay it gets gets further and further away to the point where it's like they're not even talking to us this has nothing to do with the person reading it today yeah it's irrelevant to our lives okay so we're moving on then we look at first corinthians 6 9 and first timothy 1 10 and romans 1 28 29 right so those were the more difficult you know Mm -hmm. labored um work of having to pull apart but even then like 
First Corinthians 6, 9 and First Timothy 1, 10, this is a translation issue. You talked about that earlier in this episode, mm-hmm. right? Like we, they took our Senekoitai and Malakoi, combined the words into this mutant idea that they turned into a modern translation that we call homosexual. They mm-hmm. made that up. They conflated it. This was a cultural decision. It was not theological. Right. They didn't base this decision off of what the Bible has to say. They based it off of what they were seeing in culture, right? right. Which is a no-no. This is a violation. And so obviously the film 1946 is coming out to expose yes. this whole yes. this whole thing. This right. is not right. appropriate. This was right. and, and they knew. They had evidence in front of them yeah. that they were conflating it and they still pursued their own agenda. Yeah. Well, okay. so the RSV translation, like, the guy who was head of that whole committee was like, you're right. We made a mistake. That's not yes. accurate to homosexual. We'll fix it. But they had already signed a contract with their publisher. They were not allowed to change anything for 10 years. So the RSV, RSV translation 1946 had mm. the word homosexual in those two passages. It got published and disseminated. And then a bunch of other translations work was mm-hmm. being done off of that book. 10 years later, when they were finally by contract allowed to make the change, they corrected mm-hmm. it. Right. So mm-hmm. this is the updated version of the RSV. Mm-hmm. But for a decade. Mm-hmm. That got disseminated, right. and it was at a certain time in our, in especially mm-hmm. American history, that anyway. So now we have other translations that pulled from their work and just right. took that conflated translation and put it into their right. translations, and so that was like, okay, done. Like this is boy molester, right? This is mm-hmm. a pedophilia thing. This is like temple prostitution. It's exploitative. Right. It's economical. This is not a sexual orientation thing that he's talking about. So then it comes down to Romans one, right? And mm-hmm. I think that Colby Martin probably did the best, most accessible work. For me, on understanding how, you know, Romans 1, 20 and 29 didn't have anything to do with sexual orientation or the queer community. Right. Uh, Matthew Vines, I think, was also pretty scholarly in his approach. Um, Dr. James Brownson, very much, even more thoroughly, you know, pulling that apart. Yeah. And then Kathy Baldock's. Anyway, right. I'm just listening names. These people did really But people really need to hear good. these names. I appreciate you saying that. Oh, okay, great. Really yeah, these people yeah. did really good work of, like, getting mm-hmm. to the text, getting mm-hmm. to the culture, getting into history. Mm-hmm. Who was Paul talking to? What was he meaning when he said these things? What was mm-hmm. the reason in his didactic right. argument that he was lining up? And then in Romans 2, at the end, the turn of the chapters, why did he write Romans 1? It was for the point of the beginning of Romans 2. And he was addressing the Jews and their prejudice and their hypocrisy mm-hmm. against the Gentiles within the church that was integrating at that point, right? Yeah. Anyway, so context totally changes how you read Romans 1. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, homosexuality isn't even relevant. Right. We right. realize Paul has nothing to say about homos- about sexual orientation because he has no concept for that. Mm-hmm. That idea does not exist in his world. It's not in his worldview. Mm-hmm. So when you just start getting to the bottom of stuff, it's it starts to become like, oh my gosh, yeah. how did we get here? And so then it starts to re- you start to recognize this isn't about the Bible. This is about a bunch of bigoted, agenda-driven people who have used the Bible as a weapon to justify bigotry, prejudice, discrimination, homophobia, right? Transphobia. Mm-hmm. Like they use this book to justify condemnation and hatred toward others, which is literally mm-hmm. what Paul is confronting in Romans one. Mm-hmm. The irony is it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. Much. The irony is anyway. So mm-hmm. once I did the thorough work of recognizing where each of these passages had just getting debunked, you're like, Oh my gosh, the Bible has nothing to say yeah. about same sex love. The Bible is not talking about that because the Bible was written before we understood this was even the thing. Mm-hmm. So once I was fully like educated 
Right. And I think the thing, like, I didn't just read these books. I sought these authors out. These, everyone I listed, except for Dr. James Brownson, I know on a personal basis. Right. Like yeah. I have a relationship with these individuals. You know what right. I mean? I guess mm-hmm. I was like, I got to get to the bottom of this. Cause I'm not yeah. just going to leave this alone. If this is true, I'm going to flip some tables because this is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so sure enough, I, it happened. I was like, these people are right. They are correct. They're doing justice work. They're advocating for Mm-hmm. marginalized people they are taking up the cause of the oppressed this is yeah. the gospel these people are saints the yeah. people who are perpetuating this disgusting dehumanizing mm-hmm. narrative and using the bible to do it they are the hypocrites they are the corrupt sodom and gomorrah yeah. that are you know like it's yeah. this is crazy yeah. so once that switched for me mm-hmm. i didn't try to get there it was a byproduct it was a result of my research mm-hmm. um, and my process once that switched um, all of a sudden I was like, I can't leave this alone. I can't just like be good with myself. There are so many other kids I'm leaving behind in that toxic yeah. environment that I was yeah. raised in who will also be victimized the mm-hmm. way I was, mm-hmm. will be dehumanized, will be sub, you know, they'll be like trapped within their own experience. I'm like, I can't experience God speaking to me and pulling me out of this and leading me into a, you know, a process of libera- of liberation and understanding and knowledge and leave them there. So ever since then, I have rerouted everything I'm doing to defend and take up the cause of the queer community, specifically because that's, those are my people, right? I'm part of that right. marginalized group. It's right. super sucky to be a minority. It, it sucks. Mm-hmm. It's really sad and gross to repeatedly witness being treated this way or people like me being treated this way and like how detached the majority are from what it's like to be treated like this Mm -hmm. and how anyway so i'm just putting a lot of energy and work into creating content specifically to just kind of like poke at this conversation hopefully educate some people along the way mostly get in the way of the prejudice and the bigotry especially from christians against Mm -hmm. queer people i want queer people to see me doing that so they know this is not a legitimate conversation that's being had these people are way out of line this is totally inappropriate i'm so sorry that this Mm -hmm. has affected you the way that it has and that you're the one paying the price but Mm -hmm. it's not okay like i'm hoping that that message is coming across I don't even know what I'm answering anymore, but this is my answer. (laughs) Well, no, it's beautiful when your message is coming across. And this is and this is part of my passion. This is why I speak so much about the intersection of spirituality and psychology, because the idea that in the name of Christianity, that I feel okay with telling somebody they're not welcomed (laughs) at the table, whether it's because they're divorced or because they're in an interracial marriage or because they speak openly about their sexual abuse history or because, right, like because of sexual orientation or trans, because they're transgender. Anything that I would, I, I can't get past, Mike, maybe you can help with this. I can't get past knowing Jesus personally and how much is my life is so different because of Jesus. Like I, I'll never not believe. <laughs> so that relationship, which I know is available for anyone who wants to be a part of it, how do people in that name, Tell other people that they aren't good enough to be a part of the one who came that said that all are good enough. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to wrap my mind around that. I don't know how to get past that. Right. Besides the idea of people, how addictive power and control is. Yeah. And it's, it's one word that keeps coming up for me, and it sounds so dramatic, but I'm not being dramatic. I think another component to this. Leaders. People who have like, like money or power in the game, mm-hmm. I think power and control are absolutely drivers for them. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people, for them, but, and I don't think it's not relevant to them. I think that's true for everybody who's on that. But I think indoctrination is a factor. I think being raised in an environment that repeatedly tells you something so yeah. often that eventually you just accept it. That's yeah. true for a yeah. lot of things. It's not unique sure. to this. I think right. that's a factor for a lot of Christians. Sure. 
they see it in the Bible. They're like, yeah. I see the word. How can yeah. your opinion, how can right. your research possibly debunk the Bible that's in front of me? They're not going to do the work of like figuring that's out right. like this is actually a mistake. Mm-hmm. This should not have been in here. This is a mistranslation. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do that. They think those of us who are pointing this out being like, hey, this is crazy. They think we are twisting the word, right? That's what they would say. Mm-hmm. I'm twisting scripture. I think for me, uh, the reason so many good people are happy to condemn and exclude and you know, demonize a whole group of people for something they can't change about themselves. I think it's because they've been told so often and repeatedly and in the text that you should do this to these people, that mm-hmm. they've accepted it. It's okay. I think it's the indoctrination. I think yeah. it's that the yeah. church environment is disempowering to the individual. It trains you to be a spectator, to listen, mm-hmm. um, to be quiet and follow mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. And so if that's how you're treated and you accept that position and then they tell you how to view whatever, mm-hmm. you're more than likely going to view the whatever the way they told mm-hmm. you to view it. And so when it comes to queer people, we've been a convenient and repeated scapegoat for decades now in the American mm-hmm. church, especially, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a factor too. I think power control are absolutely at the center of this. And then I think for the the average churchgoer, who's not necessarily in a seat of power in that structure, but you know, finds identity and safety there. I think that indoctrination piece is a, is a factor. I think it's yeah, absolutely. so repeatedly absolutely. convinced, you know, anyway. Yeah. Are you familiar with spiral dynamics? Um, it sounds familiar, but yeah. I'm not familiar enough to like. Yeah. So spiral dynamics and then also Brian McLaurin's um, four stages of development, right? So just in his, he does it very clear, like the first stage is simplicity. And then in spiral dynamics, it's, your, it's the red and blue levels, right? It's levels based on color. And, okay. and in spiral dynamics, you know, red and blue, and then in Brian McLaurin's, you know, simplicity, it simply means you understand what you already understand. You believe what you already believe. Right. And that's, that's as far as people go. Mm. So you're not allowed to be at, at the cool kids table if you believe anything differently than that. Mm. Yeah. And so a lot of pastors live in the red and blue. And so that is where their congregation holds them and they don't have to change unless something personally happens to them. Mm-hmm. Right. So their kid comes out gay, something right. happens, then there's no challenge of why do I believe what I already believe? Mm-hmm. Right. My, I, my goal every day, honestly, Mike is to understand what I don't understand. And I think a lot of people are just caught into understanding more what they already understand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And there's such a simplicity to it. And I get it. I get it. If Easier. it doesn't affect yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really easy. But how many people are leaving the church? How many people are going into addiction because they've been so traumatized by the church? How many people are ending their lives because of the trauma being unresolved? So how do I, I, I can't reconcile that, yeah. whether I'm in red, blue, purple, whatever level, what matters is people's lives. Yeah, right. right. So for people who've done this work and have come to these conclusions I, th- I was literally at coffee with somebody yesterday, a neighbor of mine. And we were talking about <laughs> this because she's also like in this space of like, you know, advocating for people like this. And I'm like, I don't understand, like specifically conservative evangelicals. I don't understand how this can be a response, how this can be your attitude, how this can be your solution. Like how, right? Mm-hmm. But I, and it's still like the more educated and the more informed I become on any of this, the further away their worldview and attitude becomes like, I don't get it. And I'm like, part of me is like proud. I'm like, I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that I don't get that. I'm so Mm -hmm. thankful. That doesn't make sense to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Just so weird because it used to make sense to me. So I'm like, why can't I remember why this made sense? Like, what am I missing or what, you know, like it just, I I can't 
I think it's because I started becoming aware and exposed to things in this process that I didn't have to feel back then. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to touch. I didn't have to look yeah. at. I didn't have to like feel the responsibility. Yeah. I didn't. Like when you're an evangelical Christian, when you're in a white evangelical Christian environment, mm-hmm. there's so much you don't have to face. You don't have to deal with it. It's like a, it's an elective. You can talk about it and think about it if you want mm. to. You don't have to. Yeah. And if you do or don't, it doesn't affect your life. You get to keep going. You get to have your, the worship set's still going to be amazing on Sunday, right? right. You're still going to have your, your, your lattes in the morning. You're still going to have your small group. You're still going to have your friend. Like your life's not going to change one way or the other, whether you look into these things or not. You're, mm-hmm. So the only reason people in those spaces ever choose to come out, I think most often is because something outside of their control compelled mm-hmm. them. To. They right. had to. And so for me, it was my own sexuality that mm-hmm. forced me to have to wake up and like step mm-hmm. out of the bubble and like touch the real, the real world. Mm-hmm. Like this theology is cute until anybody who's not you yeah. is affected. And then that's all right. of a sudden this doesn't work anymore. It's yeah. not, it's like science fiction now, right? Because there's mm-hmm. a life that's demonstrating this isn't true. Right. It's not producing good fruit for them. It's not yeah. actually demonstrating love yeah. in the world. Yeah, and so that was like a really, you know, Mm-hmm. sobering process mm-hmm. but it was so like thorough and visceral that like i cannot connect to where they're coming from anymore i'm like yeah you feel like you're asleep to me like yeah. are we even having the same conversation are you awake do you live yeah. in this world do you understand that what you're saying does not address the actual problem mm-hmm. that you're erasing a whole people group and their entire experience that they are all sharing like your theology does not address that, doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. And eventually just like, I don't want to talk to you. There's no point. Like, you're not mm-hmm. even here. It's mm-hmm. so weird. I, yeah. I don't. Wait, Mike, where's your family in this? Is it, are they part of who you're having to detox from or are your um, family able to come alongside of you? So that's a, that's an interesting, um, my younger sister moved to Nashville with me. So she okay. is affirming. She's an ally. That's great. She actually leads, she actually leads a group in my world, um, hmm. called allies for people who are on the journey of like becoming allies oh, for the or like are already allies and just trying to be better mm-hmm. in that. Right. So she leads a whole, which is so cool. Um, my older sister is sympathetic. I would say, um, I wouldn't consider her an ally because to mm-hmm. me on a personal level, and this is Mike's opinion, I'm not trying to speak for anybody else. When it comes to allyship, somebody who's straight, defending, mm-hmm. taking up the cause of the mm-hmm. community, right? Doing work to further inclusion and support for us. Mm-hmm. Um, allyship is a proactive, intentional engagement, not a passive, um, like, vote, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So I think my yeah. sister, and I don't even know that my older sister would even have a vote. I bet she probably votes conservative, right? She probably mm-hmm. enacts or like would support policies that are against people like me. And that's not her intent. She just mm-hmm. has other values and priorities that are louder and more important to her than yeah. my dignity and well-being. Um, it's, I'm not taking it personally, but I don't consider her an ally. I think she's sympathetic. She's like, ah, mm-hmm. I, I see how this could be painful. I don't want to be somebody who causes pain in your life. So I'm going to look you in the eyes and tell you that I love you. I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. I'll take it. Thanks. But sure. that's not allyship, right? Like she doesn't. Anyway, so that's where she is. Everyone in my extended family is, they're not religious. And so they're all affirming. They're all like, for sure, right? Yeah. My parents are the conservative Christians in the family. And they Mm. are the ones who have been the most difficult to deal with and the most painful Mm. to work through this with in my family. Um, And so we're still working through that. My mom has exhibited some willingness to apologize. Mm. Well, to acknowledge fault 
in her participation. She's not fully clear on what all that is and what mm -hmm. that looks like at the moment. But the last time I was there, like a couple months ago, I sat her down and was like, mom, we got to talk. Mm -hmm. um, my dad is incapable of having this conversation with me. So I'm not interested in like being vulnerable or like sure. opening this up with him. My dad only knows how to share his opinion. He does not know how to listen. As far as I'm ex experiencing that, like I don't experience right. my dad as a listener. So I'm like, yeah, we're not doing this, which is a bummer. Like it's such a strain. That's yeah, not unique sure. to this conversation. That's true in a lot of ways in our relationship. So like he just doesn't get to have access, which is a bummer. That's a boundary that's in mm -hmm. place. And I hope down the road that could change. I don't expect that it's going to, sure. I'll continue to like, just be present and available to the degree that I'm willing to, mm -hmm. you know, be treated or whatever. My mom is like a little bit more responsive. So she and I are currently in a process of like, okay, what does this look like? Where are we going? And so I'm trying to connect my mom to other people besides me. So friends mm -hmm. I've made along the way who are doing this work. So there's a person out of Southern California um, doing work out of a big mega church actually for queer affirming theology, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so my mom is connected with her and like, you know, ba taking cool. baby steps. To, so anyway, like that's kind of where we are. It's yeah. in the middle of the process. I'm, I'm trying to relieve my parents of judgment and like a time frame, And cause I was so angry and so hurt and, ah, and I had to express those things and I did. And now I'm like, okay, I know where I sit. I know what I'm willing to accept or what I'm not, mm. what are deal breakers for me. I'm giving them space to like go on that journey. But then I think eventually as my life progresses and if someone else were to come into this, my boundaries would probably become a little bit more specific and intentional um, or like stricter. Right. And then they mm -hmm. get to deal with it. But like, I'm trying to do the best I can to help them in that process in whatever ways I'm able to, so that if slash when I find a significant other, there's actually a possibility for yeah. us to have a relationship because if they yeah. treat someone I care about and love in that way, the way I've been treated, we're probably not going to have much of a relationship, you know? Yeah. So right. we're working it out right now. Yeah. And I get that it's messy because when it involves trust and being allowed to feel safe yeah, and you know, that, that it, it just gets really messy. And I want to go back to your friend for a second because you know, my coming out process was was messy and lost very significant friends. And so I just want to hear a little bit from you about, you know, the detoxing from that, the healing, the grieving that comes from simply you announcing this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And then how, how have you grieved and taken care of yourself around that? Yeah. So, um, was there a certain friend you're referencing? Um, you just said earlier that there were certain people that were very significant in your life, that they were good friends and that they oh, yeah, yeah. they had a certain line. You're like, well, that line means it's a deal breaker. I'm out. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> God. This was probably the most painful part of my coming out experience. It wasn't the, the overt absurd trolls on the Internet. It wasn't um, people who told me they didn't agree. Mm -hmm. It was the friends who told me they loved me. They supported me. Mm -hmm. um, they never said an affirming word to me about my sexuality or my journey or me coming out. Um, so the language kept being, I love you. I support you. Um, and they kept asking me questions about my feelings or my process, mm -hmm. but they never affirmed anything. It took me a while to figure this out. And none of them told me this. That was part of the thing that was the most upsetting was I had to figure out. There mm -hmm. was a handful of people who were close to me who were playing this game of, I want to be close to your process. I want to hear everything you're saying. I want to watch you. I don't affirm anything you're going through right now. Like they'll acknowledge my emotions. They'll acknowledge that it's painful. They'll acknowledge that it sucks. You know, mm -hmm. they'll sympathize with me, but mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't actually think that was sympathizing um, or empathizing. You know, I think mm -hmm. they were playing a role 
because that's what they understood friendship to be when they also could not support what I was saying from a deeply convicted place. And so I realized somewhere in that visceral process that a boundary of mine was, if you can't say to my face that you're not affirming, Mm -hmm. you're going to keep asking me to share my process and be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with you. And you're not being vulnerable. That's a deal breaker for me. That's Mm -hmm. violating. That is an inequitable exchange. And I don't, nobody deserves that. That is totally just like toxic. Mm -hmm. And I'd never had to figure that out before in my life. And I hate Mm -hmm. that I had to be the one to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like, how come none of you understood this before we arrived here? Mm -hmm. I'm the vulnerable party here. I'm the one who's getting torn apart publicly. I'm the one going through this entire, like my life is upending and you're the one playing this game. Like that is not a fair exchange. I'm not accepting this anymore. Mike deserves better than that. Anybody in this position deserves better Mm -hmm. than this. So I had to like draw some pretty hard lines with these people and be like, I Mm -hmm. need space. And these are people who I was close to. I'm like, I need space. And so if I were to hint that they were unsafe, it was shocking these people, this particular pocket of people, which they didn't even know each other. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like a group. It was like individuals at a certain ring of my, of intimacy in my life. It was so weird. There was a pattern. They're super skilled at demonstrating curiosity or interest in my life and my process, whilst also avoiding any need or like vote of affirmation or support of me in this or what I was saying. Like there was a, they could avoid any of the conviction whilst playing the relationship game, which to me is like manipulative and disgusting. Like I actually feel very grossed out by it. Mm-hmm. And that's me. I don't think everyone feels yeah. that way, but yeah. I felt that way for yeah. sure. I'm like, no deal breaker for me. Um, but then the other thing was if I confronted it or if I hinted at you're not, I, I don't feel super safe here or like whatever. Mm-hmm. The level of backlash I got from this particular like intersection of people in my life was so intense. The moment I hinted at you aren't, the way you're showing up here makes me feel like this. The walls, the fire, the, the spears, mm-hmm. the torches, like the resume. Mm-hmm. How can you possibly suggest that I'm not safe when I've done all of this stuff in our relationship? I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. It just was so anyway. So it got to be about them. You know, I'm coming out mm-hmm. and bleeding out and publicly being mm-hmm. torn apart and like upending my life and going through a very vulnerable, like humiliating process mm-hmm. in some ways. And they're both sinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm suggesting that they're not safe for me and their life is the one that's under attack. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. This is not, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Your straight privilege is obviously blinding you. I'm not paying for this anymore. Mm-hmm. And they don't know this guy. They want me to be straight guy. They want me to be heterosexual, Mike. This like mm-hmm. fake person mm-hmm. I've been my whole life. That's the only person they knew. Mm-hmm. They can't conceive of somebody else. They're not willing to let this other person be real. They are only willing to relate to the memory they had of me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not paying for that guy anymore. You want to stay yeah. there? That's fine. You can go right. remember him in the past. Yeah. I'm moving on with my life. This is yeah. not yeah. invited anymore. It was, I, I needed to draw that line for me so I could actually Absolutely. like, right. So, um, that was so painful and horrific. I hated having to do it. It was traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Like I, Mm -hmm. the, the triggering, like physical response to if I got a text from them or a message or whatever, I'm like, (gasps) like it was so intense Mm -hmm. and gross. Like I hated that happened. And it's a lot of this is still unresolved. And so the crazy thing is I had other people who blatantly would tell me to my face, I don't agree with you. I don't think that's true, but I still love you. And I'm interested in like continuing this conversation. I have no problem with those people. Mm -hmm. Like we have boundaries. They're not people I'm like confiding in. I'm not pulling them into special, like intimate spaces in my life, but we're good. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't need everyone to agree with what I'm saying. I just need people to be honest. 
Mm -hmm. I need people to like show up with the same degree of vulnerability that I'm demonstrating here. If we're going to have a relationship that's functional, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm asking for too much. And then we get to establish boundaries. And if I don't want you to be super close, that's my prerogative. You don't get to hide your intention or your inability to support what I'm doing to prevent me from establishing Mm -hmm. boundaries that I would prefer Mm -hmm. based on where you are. Yeah. And so, so yes, it's a, it's such a, we need such a level of honesty. And, you know, if people told me that they were neutral, so please, Mike, speak into someone being neutral on <laughs> someone being neutral on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're neutral, um, you're not a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yeah, and I'm not trying to be dramatic or like punishy or exclusive. I'm just straight up telling the person who obviously just doesn't get it, like, oh, you don't see me yet. Mm-hmm. Like you people don't. are dying. Yeah, from right. this and you're no they don't get neutral. that they don't believe that people That's, are dying that for other me. reasons yeah yeah right they don't there's just just such a grayed out like mm-hmm. numbed out detached opinion when you continue mm-hmm. to dismiss mm-hmm. literal statistics of queer people having a higher like suicide rate and then queer Christians having right. an even higher suicide yes. rate. Like that's yes. an insane statistic that should yeah. not exist. That's right. Queer yeah. Christians should have a lower suicide rate. You'd think that right. if we've got God in the equation, that it'd be a lot lower. Right. But, right? It, is, but it actually goes. It is for every other group. Every other right. group can use religion. Even though I do not believe at all, if you have lost someone to a mental illness, I do not believe that they are in hell for one second, but people Understanding of religion and of God is a proven factor to reduce the likelihood of ending their own life, except for gay people. We're more likely because we're being told we're such an abomination, right. we're such horrible right. people. And so, mm-hmm. and it's so like twisted that Christianity, a lot of like church leaders and people will not take responsibility for that. Right. They won't own and recognize, you know what? I might have some complicity in this. This might actually be relevant to things that I perpetuate, that I support, yeah. that I'm complicit right. with. They don't see it. I didn't see it yeah. for so long, right? So once yeah. I recognized what I was in line with, in league with, before I came out, I was like, oh my, and I grieved and sobbed for like months. It was like mm-hmm. this horrible, mm-hmm. like grieving, sorrowful mm-hmm. season of mm-hmm. just having to like mm-hmm. lament at my yeah. own hypocrisy and the things that yeah. I was supporting and the cost that it was bringing on other people who were like me. And the only reason I wasn't sure. suffering like them was because I was lying. I'm like, this is not yeah. okay. So it was like yeah. a horrible, like, baptism right of like having mm-hmm. to die to a whole world that i was mm-hmm. benefiting from that was mm-hmm. not sanctified i guess it's a biblical yeah. term for that. Yeah. anyway so in that process when people tell me they're neutral i'm like okay that's you're allowed to be there just understand that directly immediately affects our relationship right that that's tells right. me you don't believe me you don't see me you don't mm-hmm. understand me you, mm-hmm. you you're probably not trying to empathize or get it mm-hmm. or maybe you're incapable i don't care what the reason is it's just not happening and that yeah. is a deal breaker you mm-hmm. are incapable of being a friend mm-hmm. to me so i'm not saying we can't have a relationship i'm not saying we can't communicate we right. can't have some kind of a connection we totally can right. i'm just not calling it friendship yeah. and we just both need to be nice and clear about that we will have i will have boundaries here mm-hmm. there's only so mm-hmm. much of my life you get to touch and be part of because you have demonstrated you are not equipped you are mm-hmm. not responsible you are not awake enough mm-hmm. to care for me in a very intensely vulnerable part of my existence yeah. you are ill equipped you are incapable right. that's okay i can have pity for you at your inability to, like that's fine i don't i'm not trying to say from an arrogant place i'm like that's a bummer 
Like your humanity is stunted. You are not able to witness other people's lives that are different from yours. Bummer, right? Mm -hmm. It's where you're at. That's good to know. I appreciate Mm -hmm. you being honest. Thanks for letting me know. Mm -hmm. And then we get to move forward. And my goal is just to make sure I'm not punishing that person Mm-hmm. That I'm not trying to like, that I don't have any cruelty or malice toward them, right? Yeah. Um, I don't want there to be resentment, but there is absolutely unapologetically boundaries mm-hmm. in those yeah. relationships. And I am not in any way unclear about what we are or aren't. You're not a yeah. friend. And that's okay. Well, I'm not saying well, that's hurt your feelings. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, because I think we're, we're both marginalized, I am very understanding of people where they are on any topic, particularly racism, transphobia, homophobia. I get it. I can explain to you neuroscience. I understand that your church is going to lose money if you take a stand. I Honestly, I can understand all of that. But my focus is going to be being a part of my church who is willing to make it more about the life than loss of speaking events or loss of money or a family in the church. But really, there. What's interesting is that as a marginalized person, my ability to have a panoramic view of things and to be understanding towards it is vast. Mm. And so people who have not experienced on this level, not all, but some have a lower view of what's happening. And so they can't see what's on the periphery. They can't see things outside of a certain view. And I can understand that. I don't have to affiliate or associate with you because time is too short. Yeah. I spent too much time not being me to now go around people who are not encouraging me to be me. Right. Totally. Yeah. Agree. hundred percent for sure. Yeah. It's too painful. Yeah. It's too yeah. expensive. It's too expensive. Like it's, it's not appropriate expensive. or fair to expect mm-hmm. the person who is experiencing all the persecution and exclusion and like mm-hmm. harm to be the one to shoulder and do the emotional mm-hmm. labor of compensating for what this person yeah. doesn't know or doesn't, isn't willing to learn. Like that's yeah. not, the queer person's responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, so it's well not appropriate said. to expect them to pay for that in the relationship. Like yeah. that's not okay. That well is said. unjust. So mm-hmm. the boundaries are there to like mm-hmm. exercise justice, yeah. you know, and that it belongs yeah. in our relationships. So yeah. I had to like start drawing those lines because I was paying for that first. And mm-hmm. I'd gotten so accustomed to paying for it. Mm-hmm. I front the bill most of my relationships, most of my life. They didn't know I was paying for it, right? Because I was lying and hiding, right? Mm-hmm. But that closet was very expensive and I paid every time. Yeah, I'm like, absolutely. I'm not doing it anymore, right? Yeah. I can't, I can't like step into this freedom and then still behave like I'm in the closet. Like I can't yeah. do that anymore. So my relationships will not have to suffer. Yeah. Okay, fine. The relationships are going to pay for it. Not me, right. not my life, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I know people could hear us and think it sounds victimized. To me, it's the opposite. You know? It's stepping out of the victim role. And standing into being authentic of like, I will, I won't pay a higher price than I need to pay. Like you're willing to lose followers because you're going to speak truth. You're not willing (laughs) to now have internal and possibly physical manifestations of the secrecy of Mm -hmm. not being who you're called to be. Like you're not willing to pay that price anymore. Not not after knowing what I know now. Yeah. Yeah. It's too high a price. That is way too expensive. Yeah. 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 It's an emotional price. It's a spiritual price. And it's, and it's physical. People get physically sick. It's mental. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, It's all encompassing. Mm. You know, so what I find so amazing is the people I know marginalized for whatever reason, those who like a friend of mine who went to three churches before someone's willing to baptize her, the, the, the people I know who go through so much to find a church that says, it doesn't matter your divorce, please come in. Like all the things, the people who I know who have have that level of willingness to keep pursuing, not just relationship with Jesus, but also relationship with within the church. 
the level of grace that we have to extend other people and the practice we get thanks to them (laughs) (laughs) of extending grace and acceptance is amazing where other people leave a church because a pastor forgets their name, (laughs) (laughs) which is understandable, right? On some level in a small church, right? I can get that. I know people who something minor happens and they leave the church, but I leave the church because of, of this and it gets misperceived. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Totally. It's, yeah, yeah, again, like it's, the irony is almost unbearable when you look at what Jesus confronted the Pharisees on and the literal things he's saying to them in his day. And then the things we're witnessing in church today, not just with queer people, but then especially in this conversation, the irony of the mirror of what's happening here is just like mind boggling. It's so crazy. And when you see Jesus, like, like instructing his disciples to go to others, not expect them to come to you. Right. And you look at how the church is participating. Like Mm. this is backwards. Why are the queer people like knocking on doors, trying to find somebody in the house of God to accept them? Mm. This is not how it was demonstrated when Jesus Mm. was running this show. It's not how he behaved. This is not what he was expecting from the people who followed him. Right. That's crazy. But yeah, yeah, you're right. We do get so much opportunity to develop character and integrity and patience and grace, Mm -hmm. (laughs) understanding and compassion Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what a gift. And I guess in yeah. that way, like, you know, we are blessed. There's mm-hmm. like a blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For, right. Yeah. There's the kingdom of heaven. Like yeah. we get to experience yeah. a deepening and a mm-hmm. widening and our perspective going longer mm-hmm. and further and having sharper vision because of the suffering, right? That's because right. of the oppression and whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's a beautiful byproduct. Sucks that we had to do it, that we have yeah. to keep paying that price. Yeah. Yes, there are benefits, but... Um, yeah, something's wrong here. This should yeah. not be the scenario. And you're right. And like, we get perceived as being victims for calling it out. Right. It's like when the moment I start saying, Hey, this treating me like this is not okay. I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, attention seeking. I'm doing this cause I'm just bored. Or I don't have anything better to do with my life. Right. I'm like, are you serious? Like, right. where do you come off? Like judging this in that mm. way? Yeah. It's just like, how much not listening do you have to do for that to be the conclusion? Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you're willing to continue to be willing for whatever comes your way to to keep going. And that's why I reached out to you, because I, I know you've lost followers. I know people are coming at you and that you're standing there on your faith saying, I love God enough to keep speaking out about what God has done and who God is to me. And again, like that is so faith based. That's so powerful. That's so resilient. And so I'm just so grateful to that you're out there doing the deal and helping people like me and some other people to keep on um, being ourselves. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Kim. I it's appreciate great. that. Totally, so, yeah. so I'm going to put you in the hot seat. I'm a therapist. That's what we do to people. Oh, yeah. Great. So I'm going to ask you some questions and you just quick answers. What comes to mind first? All right. You ready? Right. Okay. I'm ready. All right. If you can only ask yourself one question about yourself, what would be the question? Like right now? Yeah. Right now. What's your question for yourself? Whoa. Probably the question would sound something like, hey, Mike, what's the thing you're saying that no one's hearing? Ooh, that's good. I like that, Mike. I probably wouldn't know the answer to that. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. All right. What is on your nightstand? (laughs) Literally. Okay. I'm just going to (laughs) answer. My blue light glasses, Uh uh, a blackout mask, and then my phone charging would be on my nightstand. Yeah, awesome. yeah. All right. What is your favorite binge worthy show? Um, probably as of late, probably Heartstopper on Netflix. Heartstopper. Okay. 
good, good deal. Have All you right. seen it? No, I'm going to have to see it now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want my heart to stop, but okay, I'll watch it. <laughs> you would like it. It's so good. All right, cool. All right, last question for you. For now on, when you hear flip your lid, what are you going to think about? When I hear flip your lid, I'm going to think about um, anybody who's talking associated with that is like describing that pivotal moment that upended their life that changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's all good. So, hey, thank you so much, everyone. I hope that you go into the show notes, find his Instagram handle, uh, find him on social media if you want to be a part of hearing him speak openly and candidly about who he is and how much he loves God and God loves him. Mike, thank you so much for being a part of this today. Kim, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, it was great. So to all of y'all who are listening, I know you heard at least one thing that helped you reconnect to who you really are. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.